Hey everybody, my name is Alex and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Before we get started, I just want to thank everybody who listened to the podcast lately. Um, if you want to go listen to the last Sunday edition that was on Expand Your Mind, and it's all about the value of, if you want to get real academic with your fandom, getting a massive book like the Anime Encyclopedia, Third Revised Edition, A Century of Japanese Animation, and it's just little blurbs on thousands of series. And, um, or you can check out my episode on Odd Taxi, which is a really good show. If you haven't watched it, it's all that there currently is, is out. So I would definitely go check it out if I were you. Um, and so on a... Keeping on this furry kick that I'm on, apparently which I didn't intentionally set up, I promise. The show I want to talk about today is the second season of a show that we talked about um, when the first season came out, and that show is Beastars. Now, when we last left Beastars, it, 
it was do it was doing the same thing that it does in the second season, but it wasn't doing it. It wasn't doing it as well. And the reason why I say it wasn't doing it as well is because B stars. Beastars is suffering from the glut of furry stuff available. And if you've any idea what that means, um, a couple years ago, a little movie called Zootopia came out. And Zootopia was this big allegory movie, um, Disney's big allegory movie for racism bad. Only it... It, like, lots of allegorical racism bad stuff kind of botched the landing because it couldn't be a one-to-one situation because it is... It uses animals as a stand-in, which is a not uncommon thing for allegory things. So, um, there's an old... There's an old African wise tale about why the mosquito buzzes in people's ears. And it uses animals as stand-ins for human characters, and that's not uncommon. But while it works really well in African wise tales, in movies like Zootopia, there's still... There's still the base reality of animals, of, you know, carnivores eat meat, herbivores don't eat meat, omnivores eat everything. And what it... What, using that as an allegory for, like, racism bad, is like, yeah, but foxes actually eat rabbits in in the real world, though. And, like, what... What was so interesting about Odd Taxi, which, once again, if you haven't heard my Odd Taxi episode, go listen to it last week. Go listen to it from last week. Is that the... The kind of animal allegory there is way more surface than you originally believe. And it's done for a stylistic reason and a story reason. And it helps you kind of, like, get lulled into that story. And so it it exists as a kind of visual motif and not much more, realistically. Whereas Beastars kind of pulls off, Beastars, especially Beastars Season 2, pulls off what, pulls off an allegory that was right there. For um, Zootopia, and if you sit with Zootopia for a little bit longer, you see that it's a di- that it that allegory is there, but that wasn't that was clear that wasn't clearly the first thing they want you to notice in Z- Zootopia. Zootopia is very much racism bad, <laughs> but. Beastars is more about the question of nature versus nurture. Of, are you what you're born, or are you what you grow up to be? And that's a, that's a very difficult thing to tackle, and it's a very difficult thing to, um, to nail. Because there's, there's so many points at which you can just drop the ball. And which it, it's easy to drop the ball in a, in a story like that. A, because it's so simple. B, because you have to have this kind of narrow-mindedness with your story, with your presentation of your story. Or you'll just kind of veer off and it'll get weird for a while. Um, and I think that... The first, the first, the first season of B Stars is about. It's really about Legoshi figuring out how he wants to fit in, or if he wants to fit in, to the universe of B Stars. So, if you haven't seen B Stars, basically, it's um a 
it's a studio, it's a studio orange joint and it's B started their first show after um the the gemstone fighting show um but that that kind of, that put them on the map because they it, studio orange has decided to do the thing of not pretending that computer animation isn't computer animation and instead they've decided that they're just going to go for a 100% and that makes their that makes their um that makes their work really distinctive and not suffer from a lot of the problems that um Land of the Lustrous was their first work actually not suffer from a lot of the problems that lots of other CG, that lots of other aka polygon pictures has because what polygon pictures does and what lots of um cgi animation studios do is they cut frames intentionally to make it feel more like hand animation but what that actually does it makes it feel framey whereas studio orange lets the computer animation feel like computer animation. If you go look at, um, you go look at, um, Godzilla Singular Point, which I also did a episode on, and that, that whole show is kind of phenomenal. The hand animation is done by Studio Bones, but the monster animation in that is all done in CGI by Studio Orange. And because they were trying to approximate almost like a guy in a rubber suit feel, they've... Studio Bones probably went to Studio Orange and said, hey guys, you want to like get like a otherworldly guy in a rubber suit scenario going here? Is that something we think we can pull off with CGI? And that's... That's the best f scenario of... All the cars are CGI. <laughs> if you go look at um, another great example of exactly that, all the cars are CGI. If you go look at Initial D, which I also did an episode on earlier in the podcast feed in whatever app you're using to listen to this right now. Um, in, in, initial, in Initial D, all of the cars are CGI because they wanted to kind of a photo perfect replicas of real cars in that show. And by siloing off the CGI to just the cars, it feels less it feels it starts to make its own form of a um it starts to make its own form of a stylistic choice and you start to understand like, oh this is what cars look like. At least according to the show. And you also know that the reason why they did that was to actually put real cars in that show, which gives it more of a kind of street cred than if they had, you know, illustrators, uh, illustrators animated painstakingly drawing these cars every time and they get like the tailpipe wrong in like a cell and the internet fucking lights itself on fire because car, because. Car Chan. Um, but the long and short of it is that basically Studio Orange excels in letting computer animation and um, CGI animation be what it is and not kind of conform to what they're what they might feel it should be in comparison to hand animation. Because they're two different things. And one of the reasons why um, Toy Story, for Pixar film, was so successful is because it, it knew it was working in a different medium. And one of the reasons they probably went with toys and then later cars and also robots is because those are very hard-edged things. And they could represent them really beautifully with... CGI rendering techniques. Uh, but that brings us to Studio Orange's latest joint, 
the um actually I don't know I don't know what order they were completed in. I don't know if due to orange finished its work. It probably finished its work on Singular Point before it finished its work on its own show, just because its own show is a bigger scope thing. But when we left um the B Star cast, when we left um Lagoshi, um Louis and um and and Haru and the gang. We had seen that Lagoshi had promised that he was going to be a better person, like a like a bet a better wolf, a wolf capable of loving a rabbit without eating her. And Louis had basically stormed the a um the lion pride yakuza to like to very little avail to help Haru. But what that led to is an interesting is a really interesting setup moment for the second season. And the second if the first season was all about finding the boundaries of this this society that's very clearly fucked up and this society that in the vein of lots of anime for a while now is very much the adults trying to set up a path for for, for the younger generation. The younger generation isn't sure that it wants to take. Um, this is This is true of shows all the way back for basically ever, but the kind of, like, shining one I always think of is, um, Kill a Kill. Kill a Kill is all about, like, hey, what if the adults are assholes and don't have what's best for the world in, in their heart? Um, but... Where... B-Stars 2 clearly starts off, and it starts off with that question of nature versus nurture, because you have Lugoshi kind of going through the world and realizing that he said some strong things to the girl of his dreams, to the rabbit of his dreams, and he hasn't really acted on it. And at the beginning of the show, you don't really see Louie for a while, as they say Rui, because, you know... Japanese people, Japanese pronunciation and L's. Um, but you've come to find out that Louis is actually become the boss of the like lion of the lion yakuza, and he starts eating and he starts eating meat and he starts becoming this different this character who exists. This, like, boss who exists to, like, maintain the black market. And if you've seen this show, you know that the black market is basically a place where they sell dead, other dead animals to carnivores so carnivores can get by. And... It, all carnivores basically at some point end up in the black market, you know, looking for food. And this show, it's really fascinating because what what it tries to, what it sets up is it sets up this society that has a whole host of people who need something. And I'm actually thinking of, I actually just ordered because I love the whole concept of the show, but I'm thinking of on the same vein of this, of what the black market kind of represents I'm thinking of um, of No Gun's Life, which has a very similar um, thing in it. But the black market exists for carnivores to be able to eat meat without just without just walking around and murdering other an other humanoid animal people or other animals or or herbivores. And this whole show 
sets up this permission structure where there are um where they where, where people out in the world regularly well not regularly but actually probably regularly just eat other people like carnivores regularly eat a herb, just like random herbivore citizens and this is like made to be an understanding and a problem and in this in this world's society that has led to herbivores and carnivores keeping pretty separate because obviously herbivores don't want to be fucking eaten and in um in in Beastar, the school, I forget the name of the school. The name of the school isn't really important, but let me I've got the I've got the thing open here. Um The um Cherryton Academy is really well known because it's one of the only schools where herbivores and carnivores attend classes together at all times. But even in that, like, framework, even in that, like, kind of, like, platonic ideal, they have very clear things they do that, yeah, that they do to keep the student body, like, okay with themselves in the world. Like, um, every breed of student has basically their own giant room that's like a sun room or like the wolves have a um have a night room that's like got an artificial moon in it and they can hang out and what that means is is it's um it's not really like they're integrated it's like they're like they're together it's like they're apart to get it's like they're apart together in the same building. And everything is really, like, it's not like you put male herbivores and male carnivores in the same dormitories or any of that. And so one of the only ways that, one of the only ways that the students really truly mix in a way with like they're actually close to each other on an interpersonal level is in the club, is in the clubs. And it's, so Lagoshi and really are in the drama club. And even in the drama club, it's the like big strong carnivores are clearly just the stagehands. The herbivores are the ones who, you know, get parts, do all the like acting. The carnivores generally, like, run all the lights. Like, Lagoshi runs all the lights. Um, there's another character, the bear, um, Riz, who becomes important in this season. Spoiler alert, by the way. Um, he runs all... He, he's, like, another stage, back-end stagehand. And later on, you find out that... Riz is not that rich bears specifically and this is true of tons of different um and they do a pretty good job of this they fuck it they fuck it up with the panda a little bit with the panda man a little bit like they don't get they don't get pandas right they they get close but they don't get but no cigar they fuck it up with um with um gout with with Galhan, he's like pandas are actually carnivores who just eat bamboo out of choice because they think it tastes better. They aren't actually they're actually omnivores, basically. They don't actually um not eat they don't actually exclusively eat bamboo though. They've got giant fucking razor claws under their furry paws. Um, but the, 
this like mixing of the two different sides of the society in these clubs is really important and really symbolic. But you find out later in the show that basically all of society is pulling for um, Cherryton Academy to choose a B star. To choose, like, two B-stars, I believe. I think it's a male and a female. It might be four, but it might be a male and a female um, carnivore, a male and a female a male er, herbivore. And they're supposed to be figureheads of, um, of society, basically. They're supposed to be, like, societal darlings in a really old-school 1920s robber baron bullshit way. I mean, the more you see and hear about most of the characters who the show very clearly has an eye on for being a beast, like, says, like, this character would be a B-star, quote-unquote, candidate. Those characters, like Lagoshi, like Rui, don't, they don't, or like Haru, they don't have any interest in that. They don't have any interest in the kind of, like, fake facade that they're running um that the whole that the whole society runs on because once again I brought up the um the black market earlier and the black market is something that basically <laughs> so whereas in this universe herbivores kind of just eat salad all the time. Like, it's food is just there. Normal food is there. Carnivores are basically subsist on eggs and soy protein. <laughs> and it sucks. But the black market, in many, in some cases, in a lot of cases, is fairly ethical. It's like people who have died or butchered, you know... The mob, you fuck up getting debt with the mob, and you like give them a leg. <laughs> it's like a lot of like that gray market shit that is technically crime, but like it's crime that people get their own ass into somehow. And it, that kind of stuff exists in in this world too. I mean, you, you you hear stories all the time of women stripping because they owe. You know, the, the the club owner money. You hear stories all the time of, like, prostitution pimps and... Pimps and hoes. Pimps and hoes. Um, but the... So that societal thing exists. And through Rui and the, um... And the, like, the lion's pride that he leads as a, like, Yakuza boss... You see the kind of function of the black market and how it works and why it so specifically works so, like, effortlessly. And you see that, like, yes, people are getting hurt and yes, bad stuff happens in the black market. But the real bad part is, like, the loose ends that get created by the societal allowance of, like... This allowance of behavior and this acceptance of you are what you're born. And that's where you enter um Legoshi and um and Ga and Galheen. And Galheen is a um psychologist who is like a he's a big fucking panda man, so he's not he's not a target for most carnivores. So what he does is he finds carnivores who have kind of gone meat crazy, for lack of a better term. He calls them meat addicts. Um, but they've basically gone meat crazy. And because society had, because the only way society had developed to let a carnivore eat meat, it, um... Are either like you buy chicken eggs, or or you um go to the black market, 
there's usually no safe way for carnivores to really eat meat. And the show treats people who, like, get the shakes like drug addicts. And so for much of the second season, it's Galheen and Lagoshi going on these, like, night hunts for meat, for meat addicts and, you know, um, detaining them, and then Galheen treats them, like, psychologically treats them, and they recover, and they, like, get back to their senses, he gives them, like, therapy regimens and medication, so they can live a functional life because the other thing is is there's a lot of stigma after being a carnivore who quote unquote devoured a herbivore for obvious reasons. You you in this universe killed someone and ate them. And but that's not all you find out you you come to find out that that's not all that um you um that you see happen in this in this in this society that is clearly at this point fucked up you have a character named bill who's kind of like he's not going to eat anybody but he's a real asshole <laughs> and he's definitely a carnivore and you find out that, like, carnivores go to groups in, in Sheraton Academy. Carnivores go to daily groups and they have conversations about, um, about, like, um, about, like, their feelings about eating meat and about the desire to eat meat. And they have basically these like big extended group therapy sessions constantly. And ultimately you meet this character who is, um, a, who, who you, you see that there's a character who straight up rips another character in arm off. Like a carnivore rips off an herbivore friend of his arm. It in just in the course of doing like club activities in the drama club. He's all freaked out and that's when the show gives you this reality of like this is this is a thing that happens. It happens often it doesn't happen it's not happening all the time, but it happens often enough often enough where they've developed way where they've developed in a reliable way for people's, like, limbs to be reattached. So, like, if you're working with a carnivore and a carnivore, like, grabs you a little too hard and pops your whole arm off, it can be reattached and it can be fine. Only the shame that this carnivore has, and he says, he says, I'm so careful all the time to, like, dial it down and to, like, be really gentle with all of my friends who are herbivores because I, I know I will break them in half. It is part of my DNA to be able to do that, and I do not want to do that. They're my friends. <laughs> I'm not a sicko. And he has to be, like... He has to be, like, smoothed over and, like, calmed down and, like shook straight and when he goes to see his friend his friend said like it's fine I, like I know I know you're not a threat to me I was scared in the moment I wanted Lagoshi to take me to the, to the nurse because you were not in a place where you could just as a living soul not as like a carnivore like you just you couldn't keep the fuck together for five seconds long enough to walk me to the nurse's office with my fucking arm and that little mini arc gives you this new take on this show because up until now it's been very much about like 
this is how society is. It's not perfect, but it functions kind of. And we're not going to break out of this. Like, Lagoshi is, and Haru are star-crossed lovers. Permanently. But what happens with Lagoshi, who takes, who ends up taking the, um, the herbivore, I think Kai, to, to the, um, actually, no, not Kai, Kai, I think is the one who rips, who does the arm ripping. I forget who, um, the herbivore's name, he's not listed here, which sucks. Um, but that's the first moment of this is not, this is not, um, this is not a baked in thing. This is a nature, ver this is, they're hammering home. This is a nature versus nurture story. And later on, they introduce Cheriton's security guard, who's like a maudlin nightmare of a giant boa constrictor. And you realize that, like, there's an even different, there's an even more different thing of there are animal people in this, in this society who are basically not fit for polite company. Like, the, the boa constrictor lady is not going to be, like, it, it's, is the security guard, but she's not going to, like, be chaperoning the school dance. That's just not a thing that happens. Because she's not, like, a thing that anybody wants to think about. There are potentially spider people in this world, and that sucks. And the result is you get very clearly that this society needs people to start thinking about that nature versus nurture question in a real way. And even if they don't decide to go against their birth entirely, they need to start thinking of themselves as individuals, not as part of these two whole factions of groups. And that happens with both Lagoshi and L Louis in Lagoshi basically becoming vegan, becoming fucking vegan, but for his own reasons and because he wants to honor the sanctity of life and he learns about basically the choice to eat meat and what that choice means for him and what and what and the fact that he is a thinking being that can choose to participate in the food chain now i i'm not i'm not gonna say that like being vegan or vegetarian is the right thing to do i am the most carnivorous person i fucking know honestly um i even broccoli screams when you rip it from the ground kind of guy. Uh, but, um... I think that this show depicts, like, that choice and that understanding of the sanctity of life when eating meat is a part of your life as a real thing. Towards the end of the show... I, Lugoshi has basically stopped eat, has stopped eating meat. He doesn't. He eats no animal products at all. And um, Goheen gives him a bug to eat. And for you're introduced to, they're probably not spider people because he gives them this like gives them this caterpillar to eat, and he eats the caterpillar, and he has this moment of I just ended something's life. Not something that I recognize as a person, but like a, in this show, a bug, an animal, something lower than us. And he has a new appreciation for life and the sanctity of life and the sanctity of all life. Because the bottom line is, is that when, when you eat a burger, there's not a whole lot that separates Cows from house pets. Except for we have decided one is valuable as a buddy. And not as food. 
And I'm not saying that either way is a right choice. That you should necessarily go vegan. Believe me, I wouldn't. But I am... I... I... I'm going to say a thing that is going to be a real fucking hot take. But... Veganism and vegetarianism and all the, like, different sects are... All different versions of it are a pretty privileged thing to be able to participate in. Because at the bottom, at the end of the day, if you don't have anything to eat, you will eat anything. It doesn't matter if it's a goddamn ham sandwich. And um, I just finished listening to Misfits and Magic on, or just finished watching because I watched it. To Misfits, watching Misfits and Magic on, um, what's it called? Dropout, College Humor subscription service, which they got me. I'm, I'm in it now. But, <laughs> uh, Evan Kelp, who is Brendan's character in that thing, in like a Harry Potter-esque world, was basically designed to be someone who doesn't have that choice. And he... He has a very funny comment when he's like, did you know the um, McDonald's, the, the, McMic the McDonald's milkshake has like twice as many calories as a burger? And it said as like a fucked up sad boy joke, but it's also this understanding of like, no, nope, like that makes, like some people live have lived a life where they had to need need to know the caloric value and the caloric intake possible from a McDonald's milkshake. And most of us don't live that life. And that means that you can choose to eat healthier, choose to eat, you know, vegan or vegetarian. But those same options aren't availed to you when you don't have resources. And... Vlagoshi, up until the point which he eats the bug, was abstaining from meat because he had the resources, A, to do that, but also because he wanted to change something about himself for Haru, someone he cares about. It And... Go, he recognizes this in him and says, like, I'm going to teach you how to, like, reform meat addicts. Because that's what I do. And that's how I, that's the best way I know to get you to stop wanting to eat any kind of animal protein. And by extension, for doing something that's a very, that's a very self-centered act... Lagoshi finds something in himself to care about the world. Uh, finds a way, a new way in himself to care about the world. He leaves his like the way he was born behind for the way he wants to be in the future. And in that same way, Rui or uh, Louis, I shouldn't say Rui. His name is Louis. It's got an L and literally canonically everything. Um, but Louis leaves himself, leaves, does the same thing, but he gives up the ghost, basically. He realizes really after, and at the end of the series, after seeing, um, what Lagoshi has done to himself for Lagoshi's own personal goals and Lagoshi's way and the way that Lagoshi believes the world should probably be, really realizes like I'm I'm fucking playing house. Like I've ran I ran away from the place where I could most effectively <laughs> like help and change the world. Lagoshi is a giant 
terrifying, like lanky, goddamn dire wolf of a of a person, and he decides basically become a fucking warrior monk <laughs> who can choose to eat or not eat meat regardless of his animal, regardless of his animal instincts, and has turned those animal instincts into a asset instead of a hindrance. And what did I do? I went and joined the lion mob and, like, ate steak dinners and barfed them into a trash can when I should be, you know, the big majestic character I thought I was, but with an understanding that, you know, like, Bill the Tiger, who I love the tiger thing, fucking Bill, um, is not a bad dude because he likes Jaw Wars. That's just part of his makeup. By the way, they have a thing called Jaw Wars where they measure bite strengths in a competitive environment, which is the most insane. Um, by basically playing fucking tooth to tooth goddamn tug of war. But this whole thing is about not only nature versus nurture, but it's about changing. It's about doing your best to change the world around you to what you want it to look like, but also telling the world around you if it looks like something you don't want, you don't want to participate in to go fuck itself. Because the bottom line is, and <clears throat> this is one of those, I don't know who needs to hear this thing, but the bottom line is that it, is if you are the adults in children's lives, in not even children, but young people's lives, will pressure them to do a lot of things. They will, you know, put a lot of things on them to complete, to accomplish all this stuff. But if you don't want to do those things, if you don't want those things for yourself. You should feel the ability to say, no, that's not what I want to do. That's not, that's not for me. Now, should you have a plan in place to do what you want to do? Yes. Do you need to know what you want to do at that moment? No. But should you have a plan where, like, you can go forth into the world and do something? Probably. But so often, the hope that the older generation puts on the younger generation turns into a shackle that the younger generation cannot escape. You know, the, if you asked a lot of baby boomers, I would bet they would say, you know, I bet people younger than me are going to figure out climate change. To which most younger people would say, motherfucker, especially millennials, of which I am one. Also, Gen Z, let's, not, let's be honest, Gen Z is on a fucking warpath. Would say, motherfucker, we're going to need your help too. You fucked us up before we got here. We'd not just, like, we want to figure out how to fix it. Don't get us wrong. We would like Earth back. But we're not going to do it by ourselves because we can't. And you asking us to, you ask, or in the case of this show, all these old ass animal people asking us young ass animal people to figure out how to rework nature? It's not going to cut it. Like, your planet, thanks for Thanks for your guidance and your plan. How has it been working so far? Oh, wait. Gary's dead. He's been dead since last week. Maybe we should start exploring other avenues, huh? And this... I, I know that this show continues on past what's been animated because I've seen panels from the manga that just do not happen in the show so far. But the my hope for my hope for the story and a I hope they 
make another a third more seasons of this show because it's phenomenal. Um, it, it is phenomenal in its execution of its allegory in a way that something like Brand New Animal and something like um, Zootopia just, just, just aren't. Like, Zootopia and Brand New Animal went for the big, shiny, racism, bad lever, and they just fucking... Uh, on some levels, slightly botched it. Whereas, um, Beastars went for the nature versus nurture thing, and they have a much cleaner landing. But, my hope is that they... They get to, like, characters being, quote-unquote, B-stars. The way they refer to them in the show. The way, the, like, the faculty's hoping. But it's not a clean get. It's not like, okay, Lagoshi's a B-star now. Okay, you know, Louis's a B-star now. I hope that it's less that they, that someone tries to award them and they're like, I'm not taking that horse shit on. That horseshit has gotten tons of people devoured over decades. I'm not here for figurehead horseshit. I'm here to fix this thing. And I think I can do this with my main man, Lagoshi, who, oh yeah, ate my leg. Deal with it. Let's go talk to Riz in prison. And... That, um, that treatment, something along those lines, would be so much more satisfying than, and then everything just, like, sat, like, fit into place the way it always fits into place. Because, there's something depressing about, especially as a younger adult, Seeing that the system is so big you can't break out of it. At seeing that, like... At, at seeing that things turn out a certain way because that's the way they've always turned out in the past. And... Uh, you can see this in things like... um like Naruto, if you if you look at Naruto, Naruto first Naruto and then Boruto are both doing their best to do to make callbacks to the old to the old show and even in Naruto you've came to found out in Shippuden that like lots of Naruto style was callbacks to Jiraiya, lots of um, Sakura's style is callbacks to Tsunade, Sasuke, this, um, to Orochimaru, and then there were even further callbacks into the past, and in Baruto, like, a lot of Baruto's mannerisms are callbacks to his dad's, a lot of Sakura's are callbacks to his, her dad's and her mom's, um, Mizuki is a different thing, but a good a good show can do that and balance that and also say no, fuck this. Old things sometimes are old and need to stop. And I just I hope that this show sets up that like tradition of a B-star and, like, what a B-star means and all this stuff, and then just burns it to the ground and says, listen, this is part of the superstructure that is fucking us up. Burn it to the ground. Start again. Like, Bill's a, Bill's a weirdo, but he's, like, a dude-bro-okay guy. <laughs> um... Or, like, Juno, 
People can eat at the same lunch table together. It doesn't need to be weird. And that I that would be a that would be a fun story, to me. But on that note, if you like this episode, new episodes come out every Thursday and Sundays. Thursday is usually a show like this, talking about an individual show or a movie. Next week, I will be talking about um. Wonder Egg priority. I'm trying to be more conscious and plan things better these days. And um, Sundays are more metatextual. They are about like fan. They're about like fandom, um, industry stuff. My last Sunday show was about the arrival of the anime encyclopedia, which I mentioned at the top of the at the top of the runtime, um, into my life. So definitely check the Sunday editions out as well. They're a lot of fun. They're usually a lot shorter, so that's, that's good. Um, on that note, my name is Van Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk to you on Sunday.